One. When the markets close at one extreme on Friday, either the high or the low for the session, a lot of times there's follow through on Monday. Unfortunately, a weekday on Friday, week follow through to the downside here on Monday. 640 companies reporting this week. Will it make any difference? Another deal in the oil patch. No one seems to be too excited about it. Let's talk to markets with Tim Quast at 835. It's Monday. It's pre-market prep. Coming to you live from downtown Detroit, this is Benzinga's Pre-Market Prep with your host, Joel Conan. This is a volatile puppy here, isn't it? And Dennis did. I'm bidding a penny. I'd buy that stock for a penny. With everything you need to start your trading day. All right, 21 handles in the red, 42.2750, a little pop overnight, but that quickly faded well through Friday's low. The buck down 7 cents, 105.91. Let's guess what let's guess what the bonds are doing. They're down almost a point at 107 and 21.30 seconds. Uh crude, not the weekend bump, down 52 cents, 87.56. Gold trying to stay near 2k, down 480 at 18.90. 1889, 1989.80. Silver, that's down 14 cents, 23.36. And Bitcoin futures, they're having a day. They're up $1,000, just a little bit over that, at 30,735. Well, Dennis, the price action on Friday, things that are ailing the market were not cured over the weekend. Definitely not. I don't even know. Um... It's just the same stocks that keep getting whacked. And, you know, they're starting to hit other things that people are taking notice because, you know, Apple's coming down a little bit. Microsoft's coming down. There hasn't even been any really hit on the NASDAQ too bad. It's the IWM. It's the companies with debt. Like, I mean, they go down every day, all these companies that are loaded up with debt. It's like there's something else happening here, and it is not pretty, but... You know, we, we're going to get a lot of companies that are going to report this week. We're going to get Microsoft and Google. We're going to get Meta. I'm just looking at the list. Amazon, Intel. We're going to get Boeing, Visa, Coca-Cola, Chevron, Exxon, Chevron News today. We'll get to in a second. I mean, we have a lot of companies reporting. There's a lot of and, fundamental and, information coming. Yeah, in. but I, I said this before, uh, even before like the earnings season got going in earnest. It's like, well, if they're good, well, okay, they're good. They're going to sell the pop. And if they're bad, they're going to pound it. I mean, it just it just seems like the mentality out well, there. That's what I've been saying. It, 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 it's turn, I mean, I don't. I mean, I, I sent you that screenshot of the top components of the S&P on Friday, you know, near the end of the day. And I didn't realize that AXP was in it uh, also. But I mean, what was right? You know, that was a halfway decent report. I mean, look what you would. Look what no, the report was fine. Thing. There's problems. I know, Joel. This is what I've been talking about, saying it has been the play so far, even into the last earnings season, to be short every single stock going in. Because the ones that get report disappointing earnings go down and keep going lower. The ones that beat go up temporarily and eventually start going lower again, too. And that's what a bear market is, folks. I mean, you can argue it. I've been arguing we've been in a bear market for the last month. I mean, there's a lot of people who are still arguing with me that this is just a pullback in the overall bull market. And yeah, if you got a hundred year time horizon, okay, sure. You know, my stocks have went up over the course of the last hundred years. Unfortunately, I don't live to be a hundred years old, so I don't have a hundred year time horizon. I do have a time horizon that changes depending on what trader hat I'm wearing. Longer term investors, sure. You know, this is an overall pullback, but short term, we got to look at what's happening around us. This rates. I mean, stocks just don't continue to get hammered like they've been hammered if there's not, you know, potential problems. And the TLT, we've been saying this on this show. There's no reason to even tweet at me, what are you buying, until we start seeing the TLT rally. Because you know what the answer is? It's nothing. I'm not buying anything until I stop seeing treasuries 
go down. And you know, people bring up another good point. You may see the TLT start rallying just as an alternative to stocks if we continue to get whacked here. So it's not even, you know, necessarily true that the TLT starts to turn around, that stocks are going to turn around here too. But by a bare minimum, we've got to have rates stop going higher because you know what? The market cannot handle it. And you're seeing it here now. And we've talked about all of these companies that have a lot of debt. Those are the ones that have been hit the hardest. And obviously, a lot of small caps. IWM just continues to get smacked. We are now near two-year lows on the IWM, perilously close to the October lows, 162.50. We're within shouting distance, within 2% of it. So, I mean, we can talk about the raging bull market in tech, and it really was in the first half, but it was in the first half. Last quarter was not great for anything, and this quarter is starting like an, a disaster, to be honest. Yeah, we talked about the 350 level. This was just a few days ago. I said, well, you know, you look at the monthlies on the triple Qs, and man, to me, it still looks relatively high to where it was when it peaked in 22 and even where it peaked in uh, earlier this year. But man, you just, you, you know, and, and we say this on a lot of occasions, when a stock, an index, a future or something, when they go up quickly through an area, well, they can come down through that area even quicker. And that was on Friday. Uh, you know, the spiders, not much daily uh, daily support until you came to the 420 area. Now we are trading under that. Yeah, actually, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to look at the spy chart today because that daily looks a lot better with the four lows in that same area as opposed to the S&P. Don't have quite all the lows in the uh, – yeah, I guess so. That's closer to 4,200. But uh, – Bears are in control. Three-day losing streak. Uh, yeah. And the Bears, they got the edge to go to the four. We got 640 companies reporting this week. Uh, but really, no important ones today. Mitch, could you give us the ones that uh, reported today? All right. Stock reporting today. We only got one that we're going to get through. We're going to do Bank of Hawaii. Q3 EPS at $1.17 beats the 97 cent estimate. Sales of $171.2 million beat the uh, $160.74 million estimate. Uh, Bank of Hawaii is something that I was just going to take a look to see if for any reason it was going to get hit on. Of course, you guys know what happened in Hawaii, but it looks like Doing all right here, at least uh, beating on EPS and a beat on sales. I traded two shares this morning. I think any pop on Bank of Hawaii is going to be met with a lot of sellers. So, mm-hmm. Mitch, this is going to bring you into the conversation here, too, because we've been talking with the KRE. Um, and the KRE does not look good here, falling off not far from the lows. You're in a regional bank, and it pops it for whatever, for whatever reason. And I'm not saying Bank of Hawaii is going to pop at all because it's traded two shares up, up two bucks. It's probably not going to be there. Um, I don't think it's probably even, you know, if it rallies, it's going to be a buck probably. And I think you're going to have a lot of sellers. So I think you've got to sell banks on rallies. I mean, people are looking and buying banks and investing in banks here. We got problems, man. Bitcoin is telling you we got problems here too. The Bitcoin blasting off here over the weekend. Once again, here, people are like, why is Bitcoin so strong? Why does Bitcoin continue to buck the NASDAQ? You know why? Because the KRE is very weak. That's the main reason you're seeing Bitcoin showing life now. We've talked about this inverse correlation as well. Back, you know, when we had the regional banking crisis back in March and April, Bitcoin was blasting off. I think we're going into a repeat of that. I think we're going to go back into a regional banking crisis. I think KRE and the banks are obviously got a lot of inverted mortgages that are not paying them nearly as much as they're paying for that capital. And I think that they've got problems. And I think Bitcoin's telling us that. So if you're a long banks like Bank of Hawaii, I'd sell I'd sell all pops. I think the banks got problems. Well, I'll yeah, tell especially you especially Hawaii, if you're gonna be investing in a bank, I mean the uh economic activity, unless you're looking I mean, of course all the rebuilding, a lot of things that go on, sure. but just uh, just I mean, what are their loan loss provisions? I mean, yeah. for you know, in the insurance. I mean, it's uh, you know, so Bank of Hawaii. Let's, not let's just we talk it for a second, a though. Let Let's just go back and just talk the situation that we're in. Like, let's bring it to the KRE. Forget about Hawaii for a second. You know, it's a bank. It's a regional bank. It's the only yeah. thing I'm coupling. Group them all. A dog is a dog is a dog. Regional banks are a complete dog. I mean, we're back under forty bucks here, Mitch. We just fell from forty three. To 39, we just fell 10% in four days. Yeah. I mean, again, banks have a lot of debt. So, you know, rates going up. This is the number one culprit. These, they get hit the worst. 
Schwab saying, oh yeah, higher rates help us, you know, like, yeah, maybe if you're, maybe 20 years from now, 10 years from now, but how do you get out of the, you know, the situation that a lot of these regional banks are currently in where they've got these mortgages and we'll continue to talk about this because this problem is not going away. You got everybody sitting on their mortgage at 3% mm-hmm. and, and the risk-free rate is five and a half. How is that good for any bank? It's not. And uh, as we've talked about it, it seems like prolonged interest rate environment would be worse for what situation? The regional banks, of course. Maybe the global banks can get by with that prolonged interest rates. But uh, of course, these regional banks have big exposure. And a lot of these exposures are in those low interest rate loans that are going to put them up for question here. Now, I want to give you guys, of course, a little bit of insight. I've been talking about my deep dive video. I'm going to be releasing this tomorrow at 9 a.m. Don't miss it, guys. The crisis in 23. Regional banks, the clock is ticking. What time team. is this? 9 a.m. tomorrow. I'm going to okay, put it on, right on the back end of pre-market prep. I'll put it right at 9 a.m. so that you'll be done at 9.12. It's only a 12-minute long video, so it shouldn't take your whole day. But I'll tell you one thing, it's jam-packed, has statistics to back up my thesis also. It's not like I'm just bringing a thesis and not bringing statistics. I will show you graphs. I will show you articles. I I brought a lot of sources into it. Did you get to talk to any bank experts? Uh, Not on this video. Not on this video. What we're going to do is, Joel, Joel, the idea here is to make the video. Make the video and then back your opinion. It's very important to get other people on there. I agree, Joel. So what I'm going to do is uh, I'm going to put this video out that's a short watch, right? And then what we're going to do is I'm going to be probably doing a Twitter space later this week. I'll invite Dennis. Joel can come over and I'm going to invite a lot of analysts and different uh, connections that I have so that we can go and talk about this a little bit deeper. They can bring what they're seeing out there and we can have a conversation on Twitter about it. But definitely stay tuned, guys. This will be put out tomorrow. Um, A lot of news on there. But a lot of what we've talked about, Dennis, comes back to this situation. And I mean, look how the KLF is also. It's not just the regional banks, right? It includes the bigger banks, too. And I think that this is where we got to really start being concerned. Because now we're not only seeing regional banks getting hit, right? Look at Bank of America. That doesn't look good there. Right. Oh, we're JPM. sitting below the October lows and a lot exactly. of the banks are below the October lows. But Citigroup is sitting right here trying to break down to make a new. I don't know. I got to go further back than one year. We got to go further back than two years. Trying Three to make year new low. 2020 lows. We're trying yeah. to like go down like we had the 20. Well, 2020 of um, not of the, when we were down in March, but 2020 of October. So, I mean, there's problems here. The banks are telling you. And Bitcoin, I firmly believe, is telling us that people trust Bitcoin right now. Some people, not all people, maybe not me, but some people trust Bitcoin more than leaving their money in the bank right now. That's a concern for this market. That's a concern for Jay Powell to think about. Silence comes over the crowd because I'm bullish. I was letting Joe jump in. <laughs> Nobody there. knows what to do when I'm bullish Bitcoin. I put a I put a tweet out. Bullish Bitcoin. Ago. Let's take a look at those. I put stocks. A, I put a tweet out a few days ago, and I put Bitcoin and I put a greater sign than gold. I think I, I saw Bitcoin that. I think I saw greater that. than gold. And you know what? I, think I, I I know. I don't know why, but and I own some Bitcoin here. So you know, I've been talking about Bitcoin. I've owned a little bit of Bitcoin. I didn't sell at all. I, you know, I did pretty well in it. I was actually both me and Joel actually traded Bitcoin really well when we traded it. Remember, Joel, you did really well. That was a while from ago, like six thousand yeah. to sixteen thousand. I took it from thirty to like fifty, and then I did hold on to a little piece, very small piece, just for fun, ten percent of the position. But I was like, I'm not that big bear on Bitcoin anymore. I don't like any of the crypto other crap. Like I don't like any of the what other about stocks. The just don't re- e- perform. What about the EFUT? The Ethereum strategy ETF. The Van- no, I'm not into Ethereum anymore. I I know I said Bitcoin and Ethereum. Or maybe <laughs> Ethereum's. That that would be the second one. I wouldn't go any further than that. People are trying to sell me on Solano and all these other ones. Solana, Solana. Gotta get it right. And, They'll get mad yeah, at you. Yeah, and who cares? <laughs> I don't care how you say it because I'm never investing in it. So, what? but I tell you, Bitcoin, the Bitcoiners, the hodlers, they got a case, man. The Bitcoiners yeah. got a case. Of course, uh, more Bitcoin ETF talk out there too. Uh, different kind of banks still going at it. Some banks changing up slight language in their requests. So I think uh, a lot of this is the hype that it's going to go through, 
right? That all these spot ETFs are going to be able to get through here and that there's going to be a little bit of investments put in here. Dennis, do you think this is the KRE or do you think it's just more this uh, kind of ETF talk? Um, what was the question again, Metro? So- On Bitcoin. Why do you think uh, Bitcoin's going up here? Is it just because yeah, regional do. banks are going down or no, do no, you I think, think so. it's because of the ETFs talk? Well, the e- both. That, that's a, for sure. The ETF talk is a driver. The ETF is coming, folks. They're not going to be able to stop it. It's coming. So that's one major driver. But the other driver is, can you imagine we start going to regional banking crisis? That was the thing that took Bitcoin from 18000 to 26000 There was no ETF talk that was driving it back then. It was the regional banks in trouble. So you have two major drivers for Bitcoin here. There's a lot of reasons to be long Bitcoin. As much as I hate stocks right now, I almost like Bitcoin that much. I'm not joking. So I'm not a Bitcoiner. I'm not a hodler. But I'll tell you right now, the two main reasons, Mitch outlining it perfectly, the ETF coming, they ain't stopping it. It's coming. And the regional banks look like hell. Two big, huge huge reasons to own bitcoin so on pullbacks i'm a buyer of bitcoin let's get to the major acquisition announcement chevron has agreed to acquire rival oil company hess in an all stock deal valued at 53 billion this positions chevron to expand its assets and strengthen its portfolio what do you guys think about this deal i don't think it's a very good premium um no, it's telling you the market environment that we're in like the pxd was at least a decent premium this is a whimper this stock wasn't even rumored to be getting taken over so you're like holy cow that's getting bought out this is gonna be a huge payday i had a buddy um at break trading just messaging me he's like what the hell i'm long hess and i'm like yeah every shareholder that's long hess is saying what the hell right now because the stock is trading down it got taken over today and it's trading down 90 cents. Now, why is it trading down? Because Chevron's down four bucks, but the premium sucked. It sucked. One, what's the takeout price? In stock, all stock. What is it? 171, I think, isn't it? 171. 171. A An $8 premium? You're talking $160 stock, and they got an $8 premium only on a takeover that wasn't even rumored? What a tough environment, even yeah. for oil that we're in. Like, You'd think, you know, we're in this raging oil bull market here. You'd think you're doing a buyout. You're going to get a better premium than that. That is epically, epically let's, disappointing. Let, let's for dig down here. Let, let, let's dig down under the hood here. And why all of a sudden are ExxonMobil and Chevron trying to do deals? Well, why? it's just, it, it's, it's all synergies. I mean, it just it, makes it's sense. synergy and because the, and what the they are perceiving. Right. They got is, high stock prices. They got high. Why are they taking these these companies over? Even I mean, they're using their cash, right? But what I think, when you're looking under the hood, is they see less demand for oil moving forward. And if there's going to be less demand for oil, you could you could streamline the companies. You could cut costs. Okay, and so. If whatever oil does, if you're not, you know, if you're cutting cost, we've seen this on Wall Street so many times when companies are at the edge of their, they can't do, Chevron can't do, you know, it can't do any uh, bigger buybacks, you know, what are they going to do? They're thinking, man, we got to figure out five, 10 years on down the line when there's not as much demand for oil, how are we going to be able to keep up this kind of, and that that's that's what I think that's happening right now. Why why is this all of a sudden happening now where these stocks well, are trading Exxon at high bought premium? PXD and Chevron had to respond. That's the main reason that we see yep. the Chevron Hess is this is in response to Exxon Mobil. As soon as Exxon, I'll tell you something. I, I've been actually trading Chevron very cautiously overnight if I'm long. Because I've been worried about Chevron buying somebody out, you know, just because, and then we never talked about huh. it on the show, it just never came up. But I've actually been thinking Chevron's gonna probably buy somebody out and it's gonna be for a huge premium and the stock's gonna get whacked. Well, it wasn't a huge premium, the stock is still getting whacked, but I've been thinking that all along. I'm like, Exxon coming and buying PXD is no way Chevron, with the amount of money that they're sitting on, especially when you consider their stock, I mean, they're doing huge buybacks even, that they're not sniffing around on somebody else, a major. 
And this is a huge deal, folks. This isn't like them just going buying some little oil company, some little, you know, this is a major, major oil deal. It's a big deal. Yeah. Big deal. And and again, just going to the premiums. I mean, the premiums are not there. U.S. steel holders, take note of this, man. If you're long U.S. steel, please take note of this. Because you know what? I think if U.S. steel gets bought out, I think it's going to be like $34 or $35. Not going to be a huge premium at all. You said that last And if they say that, no, we're just going to stay as a standalone right now because we don't like the offers we're getting, the stock's back down at 24 overnight. The risk-reward for U.S. Steel is actually, I believe, to be short at this point in time. Again, there's risk because maybe they get this $40. The stock is in play. There are buyers and suitors snooping around on U.S. Steel. We know that. They've talked about that. They are accepting offers. So it may get bought out. It probably does. But I think the premium is going to suck. So I think if you're in it, you ring the register and be happy that you got this $8 pop because this has premium. If you had the rumor, you know, this was getting bought out. I didn't hear a rumor of Hess getting bought out. I yeah. thought Chevron might buy somebody. I didn't know it was going to be Hess. Man, you've got to be disappointed this morning. What do you think about regulators coming in here and maybe stopping this deal? Like D Hall bringing up a good conversation in the chat. Should, shouldn't be allowed, at least he's saying. We're going to get stuck with three oil companies. Such a shame. What do you think about that conversation? There's so many oil companies, though. So they'll have a hard time. They will have a hard time getting this, you know, like saying there's antitrust here just because they're so again you know they don't want all the big ones all the big guns but i again and again if you're long hass i mean are you really worried that it's going to get blocked there's no premium anyways so i mean as <laughs> a risk sure. arbor pxd looks a lot more scary you know up at 250 was 215 well Hess was 163 and it's 162 maybe i hope as a Hess shareholder it gets blocked so you got a better deal terrible deal terrible deal for Hess. good deal for chevron our textainer shares are trading higher after the company agreed to be acquired by Stone Peak for an enterprise value of $7.4 billion. It seems like it's Merger Monday or Acquisition merger Monday, Monday. Uh, whichever you want to call it, but not doing too bad. This is TGH. Take a look at that, guys. What do you guys think about this? Well, there's a I've, premium. I've never known about this company. So I don't know this company either. I don't think I've ever... I trade a lot of stocks. I don't never think heard I've ever it, made a yeah. trade in TGH. So I don't know anything about this company um textainer it is a what i don't even know what this company does i got you i got you so it's a intermodule container leasing company provided by customers globally they do international shipping lanes shipper, shipper. Uh, and leases so yeah shipper think about it that way um good premium stock and taking over who's buying it it's a company Pri- called stone peak yeah private company private that's going off the board. And what's the what's the price? Uh, I got seven point four billion. Um, I don't have a share price there, the but seven point four billion is approximately the deal there. Okay. Um, so this is at least interesting. We're seeing more and more mergers, more and more acquisitions out there. Is this a sign of like peak cycle, or is this kind of more uh, just? They're just jumping on the opportunity. Here. Well, you're going to see mergers happening because stock prices have been depressed for so many companies. And there are some diamonds in the rough here. And maybe this was a diamond in the rough. I'm not sure. I don't follow the company. But the stock is straight down. Companies do more M&A, not when the capital gets tighter. So capital, and but capital hasn't been constrained yet. We're predicting capital get constrained on this show. That's why I remain cautious because if the regional banks keep going down, it's going to get ugly. But at this point in time, capital, even though it's more expensive, is still not contained. It's not like banks aren't willing to loan for deals. So, and if you're using stock like Chevron, then it doesn't even matter. So I think you're going to see as stock prices are down and a lot of companies are down 30, 40% from their highs. I think you do see more mergers come in and that's a good thing. I mean, that's, you know, it's getting some speculation back in this market. It's a very good thing. Bill makes a good comment. Uh, the guys in the C C suite want to get out. They want to. Yeah, that's out. what I'm wondering. That's yeah, what I'm wondering. Yeah. Is this like peak cycle? They're just telling us that well, they're taking what they can get out there. You just see the street's reaction to it, right? They, you know, they're too excited. Not right? great for Hess and not great for Chevron. I mean, you know, it. You know, if this thing was traded at 175, and so while well, there's not too many other people that could come in and uh, and do this deal, unless Warren, you know, Warren wants to do it, but um, you know, trading at near all time high. I mean, we get the streets' opinion as far as the price action goes in CVX. 
since we're relating this to what happened in ExxonMobil, uh, we can look at the ExxonMobil chart. I can remember exactly what happened. They hit it pretty good. Uh, it was also a little bit of volatile time, but man, it came back down to the 105 area and went to had a couple lows at 105 going all the way back to August and made that low at one a little just under that at 104.83. Got a good pop. I don't know. Is that a 50% retracement? It looks pretty close, right? 15, seven and a half. Uh, keep an eye on the 114 area. The 50% is a little better than that. But if you're looking to get in Chevron, you know, you're just, you know, think oil's going to, you know, 200 bucks. You got to own this. This is a great deal for the company. And you're going to use ExxonMobil as a proxy. You know, let them hit it for a day or two. Let it come into the support. Maybe yeah. see if it comes into this 160 area. You don't have to strike today because there's some no. institutions that are like, I hate this deal. I don't I don't want them to do a deal. I want them to do the cash other way. I'm out. And that's the way some institutions will look at it and they'll move on to another stock. That's what happened with ExxonMobil and then you got the pop afterwards. Joel, Cheers. and the other concern is a point you were making. I mean, I and again, I'm going to make the point shorter than longer term. I think you're making it longer term, you know, that they're doing these deals cuz they see oil demand going down longer term. I see oil demand going down shorter term. Like we have the war I'm not saying tomorrow because the war is keeping oil prices elevated here right now. But if you go into a global recession and Good I point. predict, I am predicting on this show in the first quarter of 2024, a global recession, not a U.S. recession, a global recession, the hard landing hits. I think after, and Mitch, you've said the same thing, get past, you know, the Christmas and people spending, they're going to shut her down January. Be like, we gotta cool it. Our financing is not as good as <laughs> that. It was. Credit card bill situation. shows up on January. And- the credit card bill show up January first from Christmas. They're gonna cool the spending. It always cools off in January too. It's seasonal, right? So it does. Yeah. But I think it's gonna cool off much more than what a lot of people think. So I think you're going to have a recession hitting in early 2024, and that's going to hit oil demand as well. So the market, if you believe the market looks out six months, that's why we're seeing stocks get whacked. Meanwhile, Apple supplier Foxconn is sinking on reports of tax inspections at subsidies in China. And this regulatory scrutiny is definitely weighing in even on Apple today. What do you guys think about this chart? It just seems like it just can't hold any bounces. And overall, big tech is starting to look a little bit trouble. Every time it bounces, we get hit right back down. Um, Apple's, you know, my opinion on Apple, I was right again. You know, I said when it got to 180, I think it's a short, you absolutely that correct. Yeah. I did cover, so I was short. <laughs> What's that? You should have shorted it, say? baby. That's what Julian did. Really we do it, though, I thought. I was short. Well, I've been trading Apple from the short side for a bit. I was shorted overnight here again, so I'm continuously trading Apple from the short side. Yeah. I haven't had a swing trade, like I'm just holding it, holding it. Oh, okay. It bounces, I short it. It's bouncing, I short it. Um, on, I shorted it again overnight. Um, I covered it this morning. I'm getting in and out, just trading it from short side. But it's a buck. Uh, I covered it at 179. I've made another two bucks on it. So I've been trading Apple pretty well, biased to the short side. Again, I don't do, I'm not a swing trader, folks. So I'm calling swings, but it's not my bread and butter. But when I'm biased and saying I like it from a short side, then I'm trading it more from the short side than the long side. I'll still go long Apple as day trades if it sets up. I'm trading stuff all the time, but I'm biased on the short side on Apple. We're coming into a major earnings, though, like we're getting everybody reporting. Apple is not this week, but Google, Microsoft, Apple's going to move off of these earnings. So, I mean, we have a lot of fundamental information coming in there. So we just fell 10 straight dollars on Apple. Maybe it's time to, like, ring the register. You just put it on at 180. I had a couple of people reaching out that said they short the stock at 180. I was like, that's, you know, pretty solid. You know, nice, nice trade, you know, because they were thanking me because I said, you know, I think it's a short at 180. Multiple people reached out to me saying they shorted at 180 and they made some money. So good trade. I mean, I don't know if I want to hold it through the bank of cap earnings. It depends, though. Maybe they're going to be really bad, but I don't like holding Apple short through a Microsoft report. Uh, good. I came into a good area. I felt, you know, being under 171, we had talked about uh, filling the gap earlier. Uh, you get down uh, in the pre-mark to 170 right on the kisser. Uh, but this area ahead of that, if you're trading it this morning, it already traded there, but you do have four lows. I'll call it at the 170.60 area. This was back at the end of September and then uh, early October. So if you missed that, 
early morning whoosh uh, to get out. Keep an eye on 160, 160, uh, 170, 60, 170, 70. Uh, but there you go. That's on the dailies. Uh, the other thing, if you want to try and be somewhat optimistic on this stock, it hasn't reached its September low, right? 167.72, while the S&Ps and a lot of indexes have well beyond their no September doubt. lows. There's yep. a big buyer beneath because these companies don't have debt. Oh, they'll say, there's billions of debt. What are you talking about, this? Relative to market cap, they have no debt. Relative to market cap, it's like 2%. We did this exercise. It's, you know, it's, it's a very small portion of the overall market cap of debt. They could issue some stock and the debt's all gone. I mean, they could just pay it off. They have very enough cash to turn around and pay off their debt. So they're in a strong position. People would say like me, why do you have debt, Dennis? You have a lot of money. Why do you have debt? Well, I told you already on that other bank, like I'm borrowing Cheap. from a bank in Nova Scotia, I have a 1.64% mortgage on it. Why in the hell would I cash that in? That's free money. And then I've got the same bank. I'm running a GIC at 53 you know what happens when my, you know, obviously people aren't in this position, but when, uh, when you know, I come to December of 2024, when my mortgage expires 1.64, my variable goes, I'm going to probably pay off that debt. I don't want to pay six or 7%. I'll probably just pay the whole thing off. But a lot of people don't have that luxury. So, I mean, Apple's in the same boat here. I mean, they, you know, are probably, you know, maybe they're borrowing still at cheap rates. You know, maybe it hasn't come due yet. But at a certain point when it comes due, they can just go bang and pay it off. So there's a lot of companies that do not have that luxury, though. And it's those companies that continue to get hammered every single day. The number one thing before you invest in anything in this market is look at the balance sheet right now. We don't normally have to do that, but we have to. They got a lot of debt. I ain't touching it. You hear it here, guys. Of course, Dennis Dick giving you guys some insight on what's driving the bus. Let's take a look at the earnings outlook here for this week. Of course, tons and tons of earnings coming through. Let's take a look at this calendar. What stands out to you holy. guys, of course, um, and yeah, holy, yeah, holy smokes is right. I mean, holy a lot of a lot of stocks here, guys. Of course, interesting one tomorrow before the bell would be like GM for me. Of course, we might get some more information on how the UAW strike is affecting these companies. Um, Ford also reports later in the week. That's definitely going to be something to keep an eye out. That's Thursday after the close. So I'll be watching UAW talk on that. What do you guys think uh, about Ford and GM earnings coming in keep here? The, keep the chart up. Keep the earnings yeah. calendar up there because we need to look at that for a minute because it's just a lot to take in. Like today, sure, Logitech tonight, Cleveland Cliffs, who cares? Tomorrow, though. Wow. So we get Coke before the bow. We get General Electric, Verizon, 3M, Spotify, RTX, General Motors, which General Motors probably say, you know, they're going to have a pretty decent quarter. There's people who are still buying cars last quarter. I think they're going to be fine. I do think the guidance is going to be conservative. The reason I think the guidance is going to be conservative is twofold. I think that they realize that we're going to a slowdown. The second thing is, I don't think General Motors, in a hard negotiation with the UAW, wants to come out and say, oh, yeah, we see. You know, earnings going way up next quarter. We <laughs> yeah. see everybody buying cars. If there was ever a quarter for GM yeah. and Ford to guide conservatively or guide down, it's yeah, this quarter because that will help to. them with the negotiation. So think about that, folks, before you go and buy GM ahead of this quarter. Because I think if they're prudent management, they don't want to be guiding higher next quarter when they're negotiating hard with the UAW. So I think the UAW is watching very closely this earnings report. And I think they're going to be conservative with their guidance just because of the UAW negotiations. Well, uh, you got to think, though, with all the good earnings reports that GM has given, I mean, several beats and revenues and everything, and it went down. So maybe let's get our contrarian hat on here. They do what you say, Dennis, and they kitchen sink it, kind of like Pfizer did, and then they hit it. You know, be maybe it's time to be a contrarian there. I like that call, Dennis. I do. I do. I mean, I think the guy's gonna be conservative. Down. I don't know. It's a good call that the reaction may not be like down 10% on conservative guidance because people aren't expectations. We know, you know, Spinner talks about this all the time. We talk about in the chat. Stock has been stocks went from 40 to 29 here. So expectations are already, you know, for you know, guidance not to be fantastic. But I think they're gonna be conservative with their guidance just because of their so the fundamental information I believe 
will be somewhat weak coming out of general. How can, it, how can they ever, well, it won't be reflected so much in this report. It will be reflected in the next report. I, I hear there's some, you know, some positive things going on in negotiations yet. So yeah, they no, they've gotta, been talking, they're know, talking about a potential deal. And that's the one thing when you're a short GM, you got to be very careful here right now. A deal is coming. They will get a deal done. This deal is not going to be good for General Motors shareholders, though. There's no doubt that labor costs are going to increase substantially. There's little doubt in my mind that the economy is going to weaken in 2024. And the first thing you don't buy when you've got a little bit strapped for cash is a new car. So you're priced out. And we know off Cox Automotive, the gentleman we had showed. Um, obviously, you know, we, um, we've had Cox Automotive on the show before. But talking about, you know, half the consumers are priced out of the new car market because the cars are just too bloody expensive. Well, that's going to continue to happen as you continue to see capital, as you continue to see interest rates rise. More people get priced out of the new car market. That is a fact, folks, as interest rates rise. The thing hurting General Motors the most on, on this chart is not the UAW negotiations. It's the fact that interest rates have not stopped going up. Yeah, I caught uh, the conference from the UAW on Friday, um, and what was said there was interesting in the chat conversation because I saw, and you don't have 100% positive that these are uh, kind of union members, but a lot of people were saying in that chat, let us vote, let us vote. So it looks like there's starting to be pressure by even the workers on, they want to get back. Right. At some point, they want to get back. But it seems like the UAW is standing firm and trying to continue battle back these companies to get the most. Of course, this all comes off the backs of that UPS deal. Any other earnings you guys will be catching? Of course, uh, Meta, IBM, Microsoft, Amazon. I mean, come on. This so is the week. I'll tell I mean, you the what. Guns, it's going to be Tuesday afternoon. This is the real heart of earnings season. We're getting into Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. We're going to hear from five of the magnificent seven. No, four. Sorry, four of the magnificent seven: Google, Microsoft, Meta, and Amazon. All reporting within three days. Four of the magnificent seven. We already obviously heard from Tesla. Then we'll await Apple and Nvidia. It's always later in the season. So I mean, but four of the magnificent seven coming in the next three days. That is going to be S&P moving. May not so much IWM moving, but S&P moving especially. Well, I'll tell you what. Let's get into the numbers, of course. It's time for Tim Quas Market Structure Monday. Good morning, Tim Quas, founder, CEO, Market Structure Ads. Got a nice smile on your face this morning. Tim, how you doing? Well, top of the Monday morning, you sages of the screens. Nice to see you guys. (laughs) Okay, well, we came off an options expiration. Let's get right to it. And I know like one of your, you know, one of your favorite things is see Mm -hmm. the options roll off the board on Friday. See what we can learn from Mm -hmm. that. And all those puts going off the board, all those calls going off the board worthless. And maybe some of the puts that you didn't time it perfectly. Uh, but what can we learn and couple that with our comments from um, our buddy, Jay Powell? <laughs> well, that's a lot, Joel. Uh, <laughs> to, well, to me, the big lesson for traders is to be aware that when options expire, stocks may not do what you expect and the markets might not either. You know, it's, it, you don't hear much about options expirations in the business news. It's all about earnings and corporate news and so on. And so we, we're influenced by that as traders. And we just think that uh, every day that is a new day in the market and we start from zero. And that's not really how the market works. The options expirations periods are very telling about what the direction hedge funds are, are going. They play a, a key role, particularly around earnings reports. Uh, how global macro money, which is trillions of dollars, uh, it consumes data and repositions. And so it's to me, if you look in the rearview mirror, what, what might you have done differently as a trader if you had known that? Well, uh, I'll tell you how I think about that. I look at options expirations as uh, the, the wild card. We don't know what's going to happen. So we have to juxtapose the, the right but not the obligation to do something with an option with what are the central tendencies in the in the broad flows of money 
which I think of as, as passive investment. Because passive investment waxes and wanes, and it's much larger than earnings, folks. It's really easy to think that earnings are, are the cr crucial uh, turning point in the markets. No, it's whether people are committing money to fixed income or equities, or are they in growth, or are they value, are they large cap or small cap? And 95% of assets are in large cap, by the way, not small cap. Small cap struggles because there isn't enough money chasing those goods, and you should know that. So when I look at it, I was happy that I every opportunity to trade long when the market pulled back, I used. And it was, a, it was a good trading week for me because I knew why things would go down. And yet the probability was that any time the market dropped significantly, there would, it, would, it would recover some. And so that's how I, I like to look at those two things around options expirations. You have to really shorten your time frames, though. All right, Tim, let's take a look. Of course, the market was falling last week. We fell like three consecutive days. Let's take a look at what is going on underneath. What is the quantitative look here for the market? Because, of course, if you just take a look at the price action, I see people in the chat. Everyone seems like it just back to bear market days. Let's take a look at what the stats are saying and how demand and supply adds up here. Yeah, you, you know, if you're if you're part of the edge mob you, and you're new to it, you might say, well, uh, broad sentiment was rising and yet the market declined. So surely the data must be wrong. <laughs> and uh, no, it still gave us the central tendency. Uh, and, and that's the core thing. When I use that term, central tendency, what do I mean? I mean, you know, it's a mathematical term. What should be our general expectation? It's not perfect. It is not precise. But it is a good way to think about the market. So uh, apologies, I, I had to reset this. <laughs> so here's what I mean about the, the, the broad, the central tendency. The central tendency is the green line. The central tendency is call it 88% of market cap. It's roughly the S&P 500, it's SPY. Uh, but this green line is the, is the composition of all the stocks comprising the S&P 500 and their supply demand balance. All the buying and selling by investors and traders normalized to a 10-point scale. And you can see what it's doing. So the central tendency into options expirations, there's those little green squares that tell us options are expiring, was up, and yet the market was down. This is very similar, really, to what happened at options expirations in September. Um, but because this demand side was up, there was opportunity every day to make money long. Every time the market pulled back, the volatility of SPY, which is about 1%, 1.1%. The underlying stocks are about 2.3% volatile right now, but you could just think about it this way. The derivative SPY, the ETF tracking the underlying stocks is 1% volatile and the stocks themselves are 2% volatile. That's the trade. So if the broad measure pulls back 1%, what is the probability intraday that it might get some of that back? Well, with that, uptrend in overall demand, very high. And I did it every time that opportunity presented itself by trading SPXL. Now, so I'm not suggesting that you do that. You have to be very confident in what the data are telling uh, for you to do that, but it's an effective way to produce short-term returns. Each time you can produce one or 2%, take that money, start over, wait for the, the volatility to give you another entry point. And the way that you know that that's likely to happen is the demand side, and if I scroll down, the supply side. So if I know supply is rising and demand has been weaker, or supply has been shallower, what happens when those things diverge? Well, you're gonna get a trading opportunity. The reason stocks didn't rise is options were expiring. All that implied demand, 20% of it resetting, and you don't know exactly what's gonna happen. But that's how I think about it. So this is a difficult day. In other words, once the options are gone here now, they're gone. Obviously, we've had the third Friday here. So how do you approach the Monday morning after the options are off the board? Well, it's a very, very good question, uh, Dennis. You know, so new options trade today. So we're starting over. And people who came through that lost money or made money. Uh, global macro money that hedges its exposure is going to increase or decrease, or maybe it rolled. It's uh, hedges, but we don't know. And there are, you know, everybody, you could be you and I selling volatilities uh, to keep a premium. But there are big banks that dominate that market. Five big banks dominate the market 
for derivatives. And so did they prepare properly? Will demand meet supply? We don't know. We have to watch how that unfolds. I'll tell you something that concerns me or has the potential to be concerned. If you look at the last two times, here's August options expirations right there. And, and demand was falling and supply was very high and the market declined into options expirations. Then supply came down because the banks knew there was an imbalance. So they short to cover their own risk. Then as the new series trades, they cover and the market recovered and up went, in this case, SPY, but the whole broad market went up. Then we get to September options expirations. Demand was declining, supply was very high, market plunged, and then everybody covered. Now, where are we this time? Well, it's really interesting. This is the first one out of three where demand is up, not declining. That's in some ways worse because mm. it, if now demand declines and supply rises, we will add to the downside. I'm not saying that's going to happen. The thing I'm going to watch is this. If the supply side declines, we're fine. Probably the market slips a little bit, but then gets its footing. If it doesn't, if this rises and demand falls, we could see the market take another step down. And I can't tell you what it's going to do. I, I tell you, I have, a, I have a short bias now. I will do the opposite of what I did during options expirations, where if the market declined, I bought long. Now, if the market rises, I'm going to short it because the, the central tendency here tells me that we have just about, this is probably the peak. I mean, if you trend lined that, it would, be, it would be tailing over. So I don't know what's gonna happen. I'd be curious what you guys think, but it's different than the last two times where the market bottomed after options expirations. Hmm. We had a guest on on Friday talking about the VIX, right? And yep. the, uh, and you know, in some element, you know, is the VIX broken? I mean, we look at, you know, we're trading here at 22, we're up 42 cents. I look at the last, uh, you know, the last hour of trading, which was volatile, the market's getting yep. hit. I mean, people have to be very frustrated here being, you know, long the VIX and the VIX instruments. You know, if we were at this, you know, this major turning point of a, of a really big major down leg in the market, right? the VIX certainly isn't giving us any cues to that. I agree, Joel. I am, I am a VIX naysayer. I'm not a fan of the VIX because I don't find that it's predictive. I prefer something that tells me what's coming rather than tells me about what's already happened. <laughs> the problem with the VIX is- You can tell I like that comment. <laughs> <laughs> right? I, I, don't, I don't use nor rely on the VIX for anything because it's not, it, it doesn't Thank help you. you, it doesn't protect you. Lags, 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 lagging indicator. Super late indicator. Super late. Oh my gosh, the VIX left 30. I better sell stocks. What are you talking about? We just fell 25%. That's why the VIX is at 30. That thing lags is a useless indicator. Hold on. Do we all four agree on something? Oh, no. That's a scary thought. The VIX is all of a sudden become a useful indicator. Is that bearish or bullish? Oh my god. I don't know, man. I don't know. I tell you, if you had the Joel Dennis VIX right Right now it would like it would be like off the charts right now i mean it would be like you know you traded like gme right now it'd be like holy they, we would have to do intraday splits to get the price down i mean it's uh, uh so okay just all right uh a Tim, good friend I mean, of mine uh, good, good friend of mine says i don't tell me what the difference between a lagging indicator and a consequence is that's a good line that's Ooh, right true Right. What's the difference between a lagging indicator and a consequence? So they're the same. Exactly. Anyways, yeah. Mm -hmm. after before the fact. we let you go. Right. Before we let yeah. you go, I mean, yeah. you know, we we like to look at both sides of the market here. Yep. Obviously, you know, one side of the market's being predominant here. What should people look? To, what should they look to trade? What also? What what could turn us? You know, what what yeah. what could turn us here? Where maybe old Tim would be a little bit more friendly to the bull side. Yeah, well, I can give you one quick answer. This is big tech. So this includes the Magnificent Seven plus, plus several, several others. I okay. like to trade AMD in this group because it will give you more volatility with the same characteristics as the Magnificent Seven. 
uh, and uh, I traded it very successfully the last couple of weeks. I was stopped out of it on Wednesday, I think. Uh, no, maybe it was Monday. At, at any rate, it was, I didn't own much of it anymore, and I didn't. It was immaterial to me. But look at this. This is what has to change for me to say, "Oh, everything's good." Look at the demand side in big tech and the supply side. You short convergences. So it will surprise me if any of the big tech that is slated to report results that you were talking about, Dennis, uh, later this week, mm -hmm. uh, if those stocks perform well. You know, I, I'm not saying that's the case, but I look at this and the central tendency is that money is trying to reduce its exposure to big tech. Big passives are overweight. And that, it, remember, back up nine months ago, everybody hated Meta. <laughs> then now yeah. it's like the best yeah. stock ever. No, well, that's how things go, right? So this yeah. would have to change. This would have to come down and demand would have to recover, but that will take a good minimum two weeks. And it might be the other side of uh, the end of October, uh, which would be that long. That's so such this a is great what you point. need. Yeah. Like one year ago here, we had Jim Cramer on CNBC when Meta fell under $100 and said, right. I got this wrong. You know, this company just cannot figure it out. I right. got this wrong. And the company turned around and ran up 200% after that comment. And, right. you know, and, and now, you know, Jim Cramer is talking about how he got Meta right, you know, and obviously pats himself in the back when even when he's wrong. Um, right. You know, and the stock has been an unbelievable performer here, but he's right. a good feel for like Kramer, you know, talking, obviously he's a good feel for like consumer, what the retail trader is thinking, you know, and they all like washed out of it at a hundred dollars here. And now they all love it at $300 here. I mean, they're right. doing it backwards. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. You want, here's where you want to buy tech. You know, it was right. October 2nd is when we all went long tech. Uh, and why? Because the, the demand side bottomed and the supply side was falling and demand way outstripped supply till now. So if you're in big tech, get out. Just take your gains. It doesn't mean, you know, the stocks can't go up or down and move things around, but just take your gains and wait for those conditions to change. The way that you beat the benchmark is you buy and sell at different times than everybody else. Yeah. You're gonna own the same thing as everybody else. That is a fact, there aren't very, look, there are 500 the large caps, large caps, mega caps, 300 mid caps that comprise 95% of market cap, 800 stocks, that's it, all right? So we're gonna own the same stuff and the only way to win is to own, buy and sell them at different times than True. other people and generally shorten your time frames, folks. Buy and hold, does not work. I'm telling you flat out because the market is too volatile. If you need the money at a particular moment in time, volatility is your enemy. If you trade short term and take your gains, volatility is your friend, but you have to change your thinking and it, it forces you to reject orthodoxy. And it's not a problem with uh, the basics of Benjamin Graham investing. The problem is the stock market doesn't favor those things anymore. And you have to realize that. All right, Tim, we're going to let you go here. But before I let you go, I'm going to give you a marketing slogan. Okay? Oh, let me write this down. And, and, and you don't, <laughs> I don't know how much you're going to have to pay Hold me up. for this. Are you ready? <laughs> okay. Let's Joel wants to get back. Are you ready? Okay. All right. Stay off the ledge with market Stay structure. Stay off the ledge. <laughs> with market structure ads. Stay off like the ledge it. with market structure okay, ads. Pretty, Joel loves giving good. the slogans away. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Tim. I'm, or fall off Joel. the ledge without market Dennis. structure ads. <laughs> oh, you have a parachute. We can do this for another half hour. Yeah, Tim, right, we'll stop. talk to you again soon. Have a good one, Tim. Take care out there. Be safe, man. Let's take a look at the market. How are we looking, Joel? We're trying to rally. I mean, uh, Spinner made a good point that the uh, – that uh, the TLT and the bonds are the bonds are way off their low. Um, you know, like Dennis keeps trying to bring out the TLT. That's a great like day when we're gonna when we're gonna bottom when we're gonna bottom and like I'm like I, like I don't even have the heart to do the technicals to try and figure out a way <laughs> where I think they're it gonna pop. I don't. Yeah, there's no. just just every day you're smashing making new lows. I mean, yeah, I sold out that Canadian bond. ETF. I bought that Canadian bond ETF and I sold that off and I did sell half of my TLT. I mean, I did lighten up here because you know what? Just... I've been wrong. I thought at 87 we were getting oversold and you know, here we are at 82. And what do you do when you're wrong? You lighten up and you move on. I yeah, mean, there's nothing else to be done here. So maybe this is the bottom. I do think 
Bond's eventually going to turn it around here for a lot of reasons. But man, I tell you right now, something is happening in the capital markets and the equities are starting to take note. Also, just to state, at least technically wise, why I can't see this as a bottom two is that we're getting a negative divergence, lowering price action, but a rising RSI. That shows negative divergence there. Uh, we should be coming down here closer towards oversold, not working our way back to overbought. So that's just a little bit of sign of concern. And it could show that there's a divergence here from the price action. We'll see what happens there. All right. I wanted to quickly do some rating talk, at least just mention them. We'll run through these. Of course, uh, Joel, you can throw up some charts, make some small comments, Dennis. Let's roll through these. Piper Sandler downgrading Asana to underweight and lowering price target to 16. Um, We know the CEO will probably back up the truck and buy more stock here tonight. (laughs) That's all he does. I don't know if he's going to take this company private. He buys so much of it. Like, I wonder if he Dude, I want to work for this guy. <laughs> yeah, I do too. You know what? Like, I, I just think, like, if this goes down, like, 10 bucks, he's going to say, screw it. I'm taking this company private. He believes in this company so much, and he's worth so much money. So, Man. I mean, I like that fact. I like the fact of investing in Sana just because I've never seen a CEO believe in their company more than this. But then I think about Chesapeake and Aubrey McClendon, and then I'm like, uh, I'm hesitant. Dustin, I'll take a quick million. What do you see on the on the technicals, Joel? Uh, well, uh, if you've been waiting uh, to buy the uh, the quarter lows at the 1750 area, you're getting your opportunity perhaps today. Um, if you want to be a little bit more prudent and wait for a gap fill to 1720, 1730 area, uh, those are possibilities for today. I don't know. I mean, you tell me to down- downgrade this stock now. Uh, you know, <laughs> what about this like, one? Eh. Yeah, downgrading Unity software to neutral and lowering price target to 30. Piper Sandler. Still long Unity, one of the worst stocks in my long-term portfolio. Been an epic disaster. And again, we're in this market environment where you're not profitable. And Unity, I don't believe if they're profitable, it's very lightly profitable. Trading at a nosebleed valuation. Not the place to be right now. And again, we've talked Unity, and it was that so- when they decided to start charging, you know, the nominal fee mm-hmm. for the software. Never use recovered to from the, that. Yeah, they've never recovered from that. Now they've gotten rid of the CEO. They got all kinds of problems. I probably should just cut it and move on because this is not the market environment to speculate in. Unity was a little bit of speculation on my part, and not good. You guys dig in, dig in on your own, and look at your some of your lows from uh, earlier in May. The only place with a pair of lows, the only place I'd be tempted today, uh, would be the twenty four sixty area. That's almost another two bucks away. All right, getting over to Bank of America securities downgrade on Alcoa to neutral and lowering price target to twenty five. Um, I'm starting to see more and more deflation oh gosh, come into basic materials. Um, so I think this is kind of a strange thing to see, but I think deflation is really starting to come in for these basic materials. Oh, Akela is just an epic disaster here. You know, we Hung talked about a few long. days ago after the earnings, $98 now to 23 bucks. Looks like it wants to go to 20 to me. I'm not going to be the hero and catch the falling knife on this one. Ah, uh, boy, it did. It hold at 26, hold in 26, hold in 26, then completely. Uh, if you want to be patient on it, oh, man, the next monthly lows don't come into the uh, 1750 area. I'm confident you won't see that today. All right, time to wrap it up, team. Any last comments on the market before we bring you over to live trading? I think you just got to be cautious here again. I know like everybody wants an excuse to buy stocks here. They see stocks going down, but there's just no excuse to buy them yet. So I'm going to sit in the same camp. I mean, sitting in cash has been a very comfortable place to be. Um, I think I can't start, you know, looking at, you know, stock opportunities until I see the bond stabilize. Uh, same here. Uh, we're just in an area for the S&Ps, a kind of limited support until you get to the $4,200 area. You can see where that that comes into the spies as well. So uh, pre-market low of $4,215 does not really mean much to me. You get a little sympathetic pop off the open. We'll see what we could do uh, at mid-range and at the minimum. Uh, clearing last week's low, that was 43.50, and also the low close for the week, 48.50. So you just can't be, you just can't be optimistic until you at least get back into last week's range. 
All right, that's going to do it for us, team. Wrap it up. Like always, you guys can keep up with Joel Alconin on the closing print. And, of course, Triple D Trader on Twitter. Give the guys the follow. And who will we have on tomorrow, Joel? Tomorrow, tomorrow, we are going to have one, the one and only Mie Schneider. And she's going to talk about the modern family, who's behaving and who's not. And I, I don't think anyone's behaving in that modern family. So, folks, thanks for joining us today and uh, be safe out there. All right, getting the boys out of here. Like always, guys, you guys can keep up with us right here on Benzinga. We'll have a great day for you guys. And stay tuned tomorrow to catch, of course, my release, my deep dive video I've been telling you guys about. Put over 18 hours into this video. It's only 12 minutes long. So stay tuned for that. That's going to be tomorrow, 9 a.m. Eastern release right here, right after Benzinga's pre-market prep. You guys don't want to miss that, guys. Definitely the crisis of 23. Regional banks, the clock is ticking, team. Check that out. I, I'm telling you guys, I did a lot of work on there, and I hope that you guys appreciate it. And also, after the video, if you guys want to see any of my sources, you guys can reach out to me, and I can give you guys the whole list of sources so that you guys can run through the statistics, the articles, and everything I use to give you guys the thesis. Check it out, guys. That'll be tomorrow, 9 a.m. Eastern. Now to bring you guys over to live trading. That's starting up next.